welcome to the Thriving in Technology podcast, that is to say, Tint. Your hosts are Sam Moulton and Cecilia Taylor, and today we're going to be talking about something that's a little bit different and something that's a little difficult to talk about, how to get better at having courageous conversations about diversity. It is our pleasure to be joined by two amazing women, Nadine Cummings and Mercedes Adams. Welcome. Let's start by first having you introduce yourselves to our listener and tell them how they can find you on the social sphere. Okay, thank you very much, Cecilia. It is a pleasure to be here. This is Nadine Cummings. Hi, everyone. I am a technical evangelist in the technical realm. Right now, I am part of the team that helps to enable and really get folks understanding about the modern data center and where they lie. So you can catch me at Ms. underscore Cummings, M-I-Z underscore Cummings on Twitter. Hi, Cecilia. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me and, and hello to the audience as well. My name is Mercedes Adams. I am working in technology and focused on employee education and professional development. I am on Twitter. You can find me at Mercedes underscore Adams, and we'll see you out in the social sphere. Thank you, Mercedes, and thank you, Nadine, for joining us. Today's topic was a little bit different than what we've done in the past because we really felt that we wanted to talk about having conversations that sometimes are a little bit more difficult than the conversations that we typically have. We are living in the days of COVID, and we are going through many things that are happening within the United States and around the world. And there are some issues that have come up that are hit a little close to home. For me, I had a relevant moment, and I have to thank Sam, really, for helping me have that moment. I've always had very strong opinions and always felt very strongly in this area, specifically as it relates to uh, being a woman and also being a black woman in particular. But I never felt the need to really share my voice about how I really felt or my opinion in the matter. But then there have been several events that have happened over the last few months and really that really struck a nerve and really struck home. Uh, and I was having a conversation with Sam. And while I was having the conversation with Sam, another friend of mine on one of those social networks that starts with the face mentioned that she said, if you don't speak now, when will you speak? When will you speak up? So if you have a voice, you need to use that voice. A lot of times we think our influence, because I don't have a million followers or I don't have a whole bunch of folks following me, that we don't have the ability to affect how change or even be able to, to speak. And that's not true. We all have influence in some type of way. So how do you use your voice? How do you use your influence to have some conversations with some colleagues and friends that may be a little different, that maybe take a little bit more courage to have. Anywho, that's my perspective. Uh, I'm going to ask um, Nadine. But you know. before we go oh, to okay. Nadine, Cecilia, you were giving credit um, to me for something, and I don't know exactly what that was. Well, see Sam. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Um, what? Sam and I were having a conversation online. There were, there were all kinds of things happening in the news. I, I think this may have even gone back to May 25th when mm -hmm. George Floyd was killed mm -hmm. and the, the reactions, the protests, the violence in the streets, the, the movement that seemed to grow out of that moment. And we were having a conversation and, and, and something very jarring happened in the conversation. And this is my friend, this is my co-host, this is my partner in NetApp Crime. We're having this conversation and she shared a video with me that I was completely disagreeing with, that I completely disagree with this particular person on. And even though she's my skin folk, she not my kin folk. That's how we you. started having the conversation. What'd you say, Nadine? Well, okay. I was gonna say, who who it is? Who, <laughs> who are we talking about? Let's give let, let the audience 
here. Who are we well, talking about? Okay, like? so I'll share because I'm the one who messed up. It was a video of Whoopi Goldberg talking about her perspective on the demonstrations and the unrest. And I was under this ridiculous impression that if you have the same skin color, you are going to share an opinion. And I know I, saying that out loud now, I realize how ridiculous that is, but I wanted to show Cecilia that I understood her. I understood how she felt. And so I send her a video about a rich black woman talking about the destruction of property. I, I look back on that now and I just cringe, but it's the whole reason that we're doing this podcast because I did not know what I didn't know. I want to know. I don't want to make those errors anymore. I don't want to offend someone because she was pissed at me. She was, she just was not happy that I had misread the situation so drastically. Isn't it great God, that you're friends God, and you could have that conversation? That is absolutely another reason we're here. It's because she has been helping me. She's been coaching me. She is my my mentor when it comes to having these you know difficult conversations. And I know Mercedes, you have a mentor as well. That's yeah, true. I don't know if you want to share. I know Cecilia what actually invited Nadine to the conversation. So I'll pause. I will share that I have a mentor, but I, I want to go back to Nadine because I think we jumped in to give a little bit of grounding of why are we here having this conversation. I know Cecilia was going to invite you in, Nadine. Um so sorry, what where am I now? <laughs> We have so many topics to touch, yeah. right? So I'm not sure which one we're, we're addressing. Was this a question on, were you inviting or was Cecilia inviting me into the conversation about how folks have different views or what was it, Mercedes, that was a, a touching point for you I think in my for, response? Well, and, and for me, it was just the observation that Cecilia was going to take the conversation to you. Cecilia, I was waiting for you to say, here's where we go next. But this is the, the, I'm observing this, right, is Sam and I could totally monopolize the conversation. And that's a risk. That happens at work every day. And so I'm consciously pausing, even though in a podcast, the natural flow, like just keep the dialogue going. But I wanted to resist to telling my story because Nadine, you'd been invited to tell your story. And so that I'll just be really transparent of why is Mercedes putting up a stop sign saying time out, redirect. So how did we get to the point where we're having this conversation? So mm. my story was really simply about saying this interchange that I had with Sam. I care about Sam. We get along very well and I value the relationship. And because I value that relationship, I wasn't going to just simply ignore it and move on. This was a conversation right. we needed to have. Right. So right. it's what brings us to the point of having the conversation. I know that she and I talk every day, but the question is, what brings you to this particular conversation that where we're even discussing the concept of having courageous conversations? Right. Honestly, the way 2020 has been such an eventful year is just ridiculous. It's just off the chain uh, in terms of off the charts, in terms of the amount of events that have happened from going from COVID to being on lockdown to the amount of deaths that have happened to, to a black man being uh, murdered on camera in front of an audience. And that sparked, I think, just the unrestlessness, the unease, the, the frustration that, that Black people have gone through, but also the, the level of frustration, I think, of young people. Uh, we see the marches not only being led by Black folks, but, but by white folks, people of color, brown, yellow brown, dark brown, whatever. A lot of young folks just taking the mantle to say enough is enough. And now we've got nothing else do but watch we're in lockdown we've got nothing else to do but talk about what's happening and it's amazing the events that have transpired that are making folks stop lockdown is making us stop the fact that we're home is making us stop and listen and watch and and so now corporations have now been tasked with what are you going to do about it 
And so we are having this discussion on many different levels at, at the, the state level, the city level, the corporate level, in home. My son is five, right? So he was born when Obama was president. Do you know what it's like to say, hey, we have the first black president. What does that even mean? And so we're having this discussion because it's overdue. My five-year-old is asking, what is slavery? And everybody's eyes get big. What? I don't know what slavery is? Yes, because he's five. Because he's five, right? He was born in a different time. And so now we are reintroducing the subject to him and trying to help him understand how to digest it as he gets older. What does this mean for young white children? What does this mean for young Spanish children? What does this mean for young Indian children and Asian? And then the list goes on and on at this age. We, we are having this conversation because it is overdue. But one of the things about having conversations like this is sometimes people aren't always comfortable because of some very legitimate fears. And I know that Sam and, and uh, Mercedes, you both have had perspectives on how you felt approaching this. So can you talk to us a little bit about your fears or your concerns? Yeah, and I appreciate the invitation, Cecilia, to share a little bit because I, I think it was a bit of a, a journey for me to realize that I needed to honestly embrace the discomfort because there is that natural sense. The hard part about talking about racism as a white woman is I'm going to make mistakes. I'm not eloquent enough every day the way that I want to be authentic and to connect and to, to even listen the way that I need to. And I've been on this evolution of embracing diversity at work. And I haven't thought about it always consistently. And I've been working in tech for over 20 years. And I looked around and realized there weren't a lot of women, but I didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. And then I didn't really think about underrepresented minorities in technology until, as Sam mentioned earlier, I had a mentor who pulled me in and said, Mercedes, you could spend time over here with historically black colleges and universities. Could you spend more time thinking about how we recruit amazing talent that doesn't look like you? And so I, on this journey, I've had a lot of help to get to being more comfortable but that piece, that fear of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, not having the context. I remember sitting down in a restaurant in Jackson, Mississippi with four black women explaining to me what it would feel like to not be able to rent an apartment because of the color of their skin. And that wasn't something that I even internalized at the time because this was a couple of years ago. And then you come to 2020 and everything that Nadine just shared, I had a superficial understanding of what it's like to be Black in America. And mm -hmm. in the last few months, I think it has dawned on me that it's really hard to talk about racism. There are so many benefits to talking about racism because racism won't change unless we start to have a conversation. And I own my role in making a change. I don't expect Black Americans to change racism. And so this is something that it took me a long time to realize that I need to open my eyes. I need to understand, I need to educate myself and I need to connect more. And so that's just a piece of where I am on the journey. And I'll say and do things that you can see I'm practicing. And that's why I really love the feedback and the encouragement and, hey, that's wrong. Let me help, you. Let me help guide you. And acknowledging that's also a burden that I'm asking my black coworkers to help me down a path of awareness. There's also, there's a need, there's a burden, there's that struggle for me. And I, I think that I'm just waking up to and realizing more and more every day how much work needs to be done. So uh, I, I wanna pause there and let Sam jump in um, and share a little bit of perspective too, because I know we're both on this journey. Yes, we are. And there was a time when I would have told you that I didn't need to be on the journey. Maybe there were a few things I didn't really understand. Like, I, I can't even think of an example right now, but what 2020 has done for me is really exposed my ignorance and my lack of awareness and my, I guess, 
the beliefs that I've held, I'm married to a black man. I thought I was like, I had it, you know, nailed. I, I must understand racism because we already talked about the fact that I sent that horrible video to Cecilia and that really sparked the beginning of my desire to really get in and I don't know if I can say the word fix it. I don't know if you can fix it, but I want to become more aware. I want to be more thoughtful. I want to be willing to screw up. I didn't realize I was screwing up with Cecilia, but she's forgiven me. I've, I'm using that as a lesson, but very much want to be comfortable having these conversations. I want to, I want to know it. I would love to mentor someone. I'd love to be in that position where I've come to a point where I understand it well enough. And I'll tell you what my aha moment was. And that was, there's a lot of stuff out there that you can read and watch, but it was a video by Kimberly Jones and it's how can we win and you can find it really easily on youtube and it's hard to imagine at my age that i did not know the story i didn't know the story about tulsa i didn't understand why black people felt like they had to if they were going to get a piece of something they were going to take it because they, oh gosh, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm not going to do this story, sir. I'm going to do this story a disservice by trying, I'm, I'm see, I'm not there yet. I, I'm not there yet where I can really articulate why black, the black community is behind the eight ball. They are not where they should be. And it's because white people did everything in their power to make sure that they were not successful that they never had it. They never had the wealth or the resources or the, I, I don't know if Cecilia or Nadine, if, I, if you can help me by jumping in with what that I don't wanna, story. I don't wanna jump in because I think you're in the right spot. And I, I, I think that what you're saying is you wanna become an okay. ally and you want to be able to stand up for people and, and represent. But I think that where you are is, is actually perfect because you realize what you didn't know, and you're saying, how do I become better? And I think that's really what we're asking people to have those conversations to start to do. That's it. One of the things that we've got listed on here is how do we now bring that conversation that's very personal to us? We are now in work settings. So how does this now translate? How do we start to have these conversations in the work. And, and I'm going to switch over to Nadine really quickly because some conversations have been had and she hasn't really chimed in here. So I'm just going to look to her to see what do you think? What, do you, what, what did you hear? And how do you feel? I appreciate that. What I wanted to, to interject and say was to Sam's point about the Kim Jones video and basically struggling trying to, to reiterate it's not really not meant to be an easy conversation because it can't be an easy conversation. And so it's okay to feel that discomfort and that level of, I don't know, it, it, there's so much, there's so many low vibrational segments to dealing with racism, right? Whether it's shame, whether it's anger, these are all, there's sadness or pain or, or just, there's so much to it. So. It's never going to be an easy conversation. And, and I agree with Cecilia that you're in the right place of feeling that discomfort, but having the courage to talk about it, having the courage to, to, to speak your truth and be the willingness to receive other folks' truth about it. So, you know, I applaud that. And I think that the place that we find ourselves now is we are starting to have these conversations and we're, bringing out the experiences. I, we were talking in the pre-show meeting that I feel more comfortable now. I feel like that I can now speak up and that I feel empowered based on what's happening to really start to have these conversations. One thing about Black people that I can unequivocally say is the fact that we are all very different. 
because we are not all one, we don't all come in one flavor. And whereas I may feel more energized by the movement, by what's happening out there, there are others who don't feel quite the same. Where I might feel more comfortable having the conversation at work, there may be people who don't feel quite as emboldened. Ding, ding, ding. That would be me. I know I, I really I hesitated even wanting to do this podcast. And so when I talk about those low vibrational words like shame, there's a shame that's associated with me not wanting to talk about this right now. Because I should want to talk about it. I should like we've come so far. Why there's so many reasons why we I should be at the forefront screaming and angry, but there are parts of me on some days that are just damn tired of this subject. There are parts of me at some time that are just angry that corporations want to now talk about it. Like, what is there to say? And that's another topic. Like, what is there to say? There's so many things that can be said. And, and part of me does not want to have these conversations at work because of backlash, because of the water cooler conversations. Oh, here we go again. Those are things that resonate always in my mind. It's a tough conversation for me to have in this forum. It's a tough conversation for me to have with the VP of my company. It's, it's a tough conversation to, to really be honest with in certain circles. And I think corporate America is one circle that this is a conversation that is very tough for me. I don't well, feel like I could be free. We okay. appreciate your willingness to take this first step. No, I, we talked about this. I could sense a re- <laughs> reluctance on your part to do this up, but I think you have so much to offer. Other people will listen to you because you have a very commanding presence. You're articulate, you're warm. And the fact that you're willing to be vulnerable right now, it, it shows that you're going to, you're diving in too. You're, you're going to, you're working on this and you see the value in helping me and Mercedes and other people out there become better allies and feel more courageous about potentially screwing up a little bit and learning from that. Nadine, I almost talked over you there at the end and I, because I, I wanted to share something that I'm not sure I always understood. And the, in the last couple of months, I've started to spend some time thinking about the emotional tax of being black in the workplace and what that feels. And I've mentioned, and Sam has mentioned, we have mentors who are coaching us to really understand what is, what does it mean? What is it like to have an official day job? And then also please be a minority champion. And every time I have a question, <laughs> every time I have a question and, and, and she, she knows she hits, she, I'm going to come to her and say, is this racist? There's somebody that I have to go to and say, help me frame my perspective on this. And when I freak out about something, I know Sam, (laughs) you and I have slacked back and forth where I'm freaking out going, that's so racist. And and Sam, calm down, Mercedes. Let me, so I, I just want to share that somehow white America expects that, uh, everybody who's black in the workforce should help coach us be better. And I'm guilty of this. I, I see your, I see Cecilia, I see that, but I'm confessing that this is the challenge, right? The emotional tax that we haven't invested the time that we need to, to improve. And so there's this extra burden. I, I just want to acknowledge it because mm-hmm. I think that's part of the challenge of the, in order for us to get better and to practice, we're counting on others around us minorities, underrepresented minorities to uh, a high degree to coach, mentor, guide, to be the advocate. And that's not your day job. But let me ask you this though. Let me ask uh, Cecilia and Nadine this. I I think the alternative might be worse. If you are working with someone and they show no interest whatsoever and getting to know you better, understanding how to become an ally. They avoid, you could clearly see they're avoiding any sort of conversation about racism because they are completely, they may not be comfortable with it or they may not, they just may not care. So we are taxing them, Mercedes. But honestly, 
I think that there has to be, Cecilia, I hope that you feel good as, to an extent when you know that you have broken through some prior existing, whatever, wall. piece of misinformation wall. Yeah. Where you see the light go on for me. Mm-hmm. And I hope that is, I hope that helps you feel like it's worth your time and it's worth paying that tax. I, I and maybe I'm being, again, some, I know Mercedes is making a face. I think I'm being what naive again, or I'm trying to, I, I'm always, I'm always looking for the bright side. I'm always looking for the, the silver lining. So maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe uh, I, I don't my, get that sense from you though. My but, goal think, was to acknowledge it, but not to, not to excuse it. That's all really is just to say, I acknowledge. I think I personally, I, and I can only speak for me. I like the fact that if someone takes the time to even acknowledge or to even ask me, because at least that means you see me, mm-hmm. you recognize me. That to me, I have found is there, there are people, and I do understand where they're like, okay, I don't want to offend. But at the same time, that means that you can't learn or you can't even try to, to listen. So whenever I do make even the slightest inroad that I can speak and hopefully shed some light or at least give a perspective that may be different, I think that to me is a bit of a win because before it was say nothing and suffer in silence. So to now actually have the opportunity, my opinion is just mine. It, it's, it, I don't speak for you know, everyone, but I can speak to my own experience and I can speak to what's happening. There have been a number of incidents that happened this year and we saw companies respond in different ways. Some companies went dark on their logos, on social media. Some created forums within their organizations. Some people have made large contributions to other associations. But I think what ultimately will matter the most is the conversations we have one with another in those small spaces not the huge forums, not the huge arenas, but the conversations we have with the people that we come into contact with every day. I think that's how we start to make a difference. And I think for me, that's a win. I have, uh, oh, go ahead, Nadine, go ahead. Okay, thanks, Sam. I just wanted to say, I wanted to, 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 a thought occurred to me, and, and it came about when Mercedes and Cecilia said about acknowledging and having these conversations. I, I just, a thought, a thought came to me in terms of acknowledging the issues or the systematic racism that exists is likened to acknowledging the death of a loved one. Plenty of folks who have had someone pass and there's that awkwardness when you see them. You want to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. You want to say, how are you? And I'm just sorry. And you feel awkward saying that to that person. So you just don't bring it up. We just move on to something new. Hey, what's going on? And we just go about our day, never acknowledging the pain that this person is going through. But when you look at the person's side, they are happy that someone acknowledged the passing of their mother, of their grandmother, and and they welcome or thank you in their own way about your acknowledging their pain. It's similar to that. We all feel for the Native American, knowing that the land that they're they're in is not theirs. And in some way, we we checkmark, yeah, I know, I, I understand, I understand. And the list goes on, right? The list goes on talk about whether it's, and I don't want to just base it on color or the amount, the amount of factions of folks from different lines that have been pressed, but we acknowledge what they've gone through. We acknowledge communism in Hispanic or, or, or Latin countries. We acknowledge what Jews have gone through with the Holocaust. We acknowledge what Native Americans have gone through with displacement. And so for folks to acknowledge what Black folks have gone through, is akin to acknowledging the pain. And, and that right there is the, the best way to start a conversation. Thank you for that. Nadine, I really 
Thank you for that perspective, because I think you just grounded us in a beautiful way. And I would like to add a thought to that acknowledgement. And this is something that I just wanted to bring up the concept of, of Black Lives Matter. And I know that is something that we wanted to talk a little bit about because that statement, Black Lives Matter, has become uh, politicized and controversial. And I think it's a term that's more than five years old. And I wanted to share something just because of what you said about acknowledging the pain. And it made me think about a Psychology Today article. There's actually a couple on the theme of what is wrong with the phrase, all lives matter. Because I think people still do not understand when they say that phrase, and I might even get a little emotional, all lives matter tries to erase the pain that brought to the forefront Black Lives right. Matter. And, and I feel like people would like to just willfully ignore racism. And so we just go over and get defensive and fragile and say, wait a minute, all lives matter. But in, in this Psychology Today article, there was an interesting, a couple of different ways of looking at it. If I said ketchup is important and somebody said all condiments matter, that would be weird. And the article <laughs> goes on, if you said <clears throat> murder is important and somebody came over and said all crimes are important, that would be weird. But I think we, people have changed the phrase, the essence behind Black Lives Matter. And I, I think it was Michael Che who had a really poignant comedy sketch on this about, it's like a minimum. It's just a baseline. It's not even saying, <laughs> right. Black lives are amazing, phenomenal, fantastic. It's just, could I just matter? And that the backlash that comes with All Lives Matter is so hurtful. I just, I wanted to say that I, I feel like a lot of people do not understand or have the understanding. It's not complicated, but there's a nuance to the, what does it actually mean if you pause for a moment and say, why do we need to have a conversation? And I thought what you said about acknowledging the pain just really beautifully fit into that Black Lives Matter phrase. I think, I think the willful misunderstanding of the difference between the phrase Black Lives Matter and the organization Black Lives Matter, they might have a trademark on that. I don't know. Maybe they don't. And the fact that there are people will willfully misunderstand the term and intentionally intentionally misunderstand the phrase. I said Black Lives Matter. I didn't say blacklivesmatter.org or whatever their URL may be, or even speaking to a formed organization. I'm just simply saying the words Black Lives Matter. Uh, a colleague penned a blog, I believe in July, called The Error of Emphasis. And I was particularly moved by this because he writes about, it's Jared Carroll, who writes about the difference where we basically look at a phrase or look at the, the situation and point to one area that is not the focus, that is not the emphasis. And we put the emphasis on the wrong part. And the phrase Black Lives Matter is that particular phrase in, in, in a microcosm where people, instead of looking at the words in and of themselves, they associate with an organization and that's what they based their disapproval on they because then they follow up with the phrase all lives matter and so it's become polarizing and it's so difficult to have the conversation so that you do not end up into a fray of disagreement or uh where we end up where the conversation off to the left <laughs> because we're arguing over the nuances of an organization name versus a statement that should be fact. In all that we've seen, and I don't you know, know if we, we've got time for this, we've seen a lot of things happening in the year 2020. Wow, what a year. <laughs> in the year 2020, we've seen protests that have arisen. We've seen actions of black people killed by police. There are many websites out there that will show you details of people. And there are some names that are so common now that they've become Commons, Breonna Taylor being one of them, George Floyd, Jacob Blake, Dijon Kizzy, and even just in the past week, Dion Kay, where 
the arguments and even the facts of the case are so disputed in terms of what really happened, what didn't happen, what were the circumstances, is this real, this is fake news, this being gaslighted. There's just so much going on and there's so much. We're living in a period of history that's unlike any other history, but still yet similar to what we've seen. We're looking at a movement that has now started. And I think that when we talk about the conversations that we're having, even as we start to talk about those conversations, there are so much that goes with them. You know, one of the points, and I'm, I'm going to go to Sam, was just the, the nature of protests, that some of the protests have may start off in a very good place. And I do believe that most of the people that do have the protests are in a good, are, are, are there for a valid reason. But unfortunately, there are those who have malintent and so they will start violence or start trouble. I honestly don't believe it's the majority of people, but I do believe that there is definitely a minority of people who will be on the fringe edges, but they make the situation so much worse. And one discussion came up, I believe, on, twi on the Twitters was about bringing your children to a protest. On the one hand, you have the opinion of, I want to expose my children. Then on the other hand, there is a bit of a safety concern. Yeah, I, I, I was the one having that conversation on Twitter. And I saw a video clip. I'm pretty much addicted to uh, watching Rachel Maddow every darn night. Um, if I don't get my Rachel, when she takes a vacation, I'm very insulted by that. But anyway, <laughs> there was a clip of a very young girl. It turns out she was 14 years old. She, it was at night. It was, um, well, she was attending a protest that was very violent. And I'm watching, as somebody is filming this, I don't know who, but she was not doing anything. She wasn't throwing anything. She wasn't saying anything when these, whatever they are, these police that aren't police, literally grabbed her and threw her down on the ground face first. And I just was horrified by this. And someone kind of chimed in. So I, I made the mistake of tweeting about it. I, I try very hard not to do that, but I, I was just so upset by it because I, I don't, I often will tweet from my perspective and not understand that it's going to come across very differently to others. But it, it I, I guess I was viewed as, uh, or people thought I was saying children should not be aware or be made aware of what's happening right now in our society. They should not be educated. But no, what I was saying is keep your kids at home where they are not going to get beaten up by the police. Sam. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm on the sideline of this conversation, but it's, you're making me remember just to confess my daughters are 25 and 26 now. But where I took them back 20 years ago, I took them to an anti-war protest when they were like little. But I think when you go there, if you have something that you believe in and you're passionate about it. But were they it, shooting? You know, how do you know before you go? That's the thing is who, who knows what but reaction it's been all been. over the It's been all over the news. You know um, what these, what's happening at these protests now. And so I, I just highlight it because I think about the difference in anti-war protest. And, and if we look through history, right, students had been murdered in anti-war protests. And I think it's still important that they showed up. And at the point where I did go to one Black Lives Matter march, protest march, it was order, organized by high school students. And so I do think there's a place for youth in the protests. However, this is the conversation we can have after the fact. And it gets really hard on Twitter. And I'll let you finish your story. I just wanted to jump in to say that it's so hard to have that perspective in, was it 280 characters now? Right. <laughs> I, I think I was pretty much done. I, I, I was just acknowledging that I need to be thoughtful in everything I say and do, and that Twitter is included in that uh, because people can misunderstand what you're saying. And I don't want to get into a debate on Twitter about whether to bring your kids or not bring your kids. I, as a parent, I just feel it was irresponsible of who, maybe somebody said, maybe she didn't have parents. Okay. Oh, okay. 
so then she's homeless. I, I just thought that somebody should be, have been responsible for this beautiful young girl who was in a place I felt she shouldn't have been in. It's COVID. It's nighttime. It's un... It's your motherhood showing. That's really what it is, right? It's your motherhood. <laughs> okay. I, I, I've got that going on. Yeah, I, I've got it going on in the States. Do you know here, where you're but... <laughs> Yeah, it's just she was too young to be out by herself in that environment. I'm sorry. I just, I, I I'm going to let it go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can relate to that, Sam. It's 10 o'clock, it's late. Why are, why are these children out on the streets? That's the question you're asking. <laughs> yes, yes. In a, I think, in a, but are you, are you asking why are they in the protest or why are they out late? Or maybe it well, starts no, to it's be just, why one are the they, same. No, it's why were they there? when right. there had been night after night of violent protests where there were mm -hmm. these police who were or weren't police who were like these military cops who were intentionally injuring okay oh mm -hmm. i better be careful about this but i felt like they were intentionally going after some of the people in the audiences to make a point and maybe the point was uh -huh. stay home we don't want you guys protesting about this Maybe they were racist. I don't know where they were coming from, but it was a dangerous environment. And I am all about protect the kids, man. I can't disagree with you on that though, Sam. Seriously, I can't. In terms of, you know what you like to, well, I know Mercedes says you don't know what to expect, but sometimes when you're walking into uh, uncertainty, but yeah, I get it. I can totally see uh, my folks saying, you get what you ask for, so. <laughs> yeah. Speak and I was city in accent, so <laughs> there's no love in that. Go ahead. <laughs> so speaking of the Twitters, before we started out to do this episode, we asked a question out on the Twitters, and I think we did receive a couple questions. So before we wrap up today, let's see if we can address a couple of those questions. Sam? All righty. So our friend Karen Lopez, otherwise known as Data Chick, out there on the Twitters, Love she that. was asking if we had any tips for how to get a meeting back on track when an off-topic conversation starts to go off the rails. And because she was responding to our tweet about this podcast we're doing about difficult conversations about touchy topics, diversity, I'm going to make a, a jump here and say that it may have come up this whole, everything that's going on right now, it's hard to keep it under wraps. So it may have come up for her in a business setting. And it, it, she indicated that abruptly cutting it off or just really just saying, hey, we're, we need to, to move on or whatever, it, it seemed to have made things worse in the situation. I don't know what that whole idea just gives me, my palms start to sweat just thinking about it. Okay, the anxiety that I would be feeling if that was happening, because I try to bite my tongue, but I'm not always very good at that. And I, I can see myself jumping in and really just making a mess out of things. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, it's, there's a couple, like I could talk on this topic for 30 minutes and, and everybody would be asleep, but I would be really <laughs> excited. And what was really interesting mm. about Karen's tweet, just in looking at it is she said, I'm happy to talk about contentious or sensitive topics, but not in a work meeting. And so I want to say that generally when you're in a meeting and Mercedes goes on a tangent, you can gently say, that is really interesting. And I wish we had more time to address it. We're really focused on this today. So could we come back to what we need to accomplish by the end of the meeting? You know, that's typically a gentle reminder. And in fact, I was in a staff meeting yesterday and I questioned my own boss, is this conversation going to get us to the goal that you had for the meeting? Oh but, boy. But, but when I want to ground this, when we think about courageous conversations at work and we're talking about having the conversation about uh, racism at work and, and why in one Harvard Business Review article um, from last year, they had assessed that only 1.9% of tech executives are black. I just want to highlight that because I've heard a story about a, a black executive at a, a C-level meeting having a conversation about racism at work. And the response that individual got was, that's politics. 
don't ever bring that up in a meeting again. Sure. And what do you think that does for that individual, for everyone who is not willing to embrace that courageous conversation and say, you know what, we do need to address this head on and going towards discomfort is not natural. And so when I think about contentious and sensitive topics not being relevant at work, we may be shutting down the very thing we need to address in order for people to do their best work. And so I don't want us to underestimate that emotion is part of who we are. And unless we can bring our passion to work and be our whole selves, the work won't get done. So we might think that's not appropriate to talk about at work, but how I think everybody can remember a time where something happened and they felt alienated or isolated at work. Whether you got shut down, uh, somebody stole your idea, or somebody made a comment, hey, everybody send in a photo of your kids and you're the only person with no kids, right? There's, there's mm -hmm. lots of different lenses when we think of intersectionality. But I'm taking a slightly different tone to that question because I think it's so important for us to recognize just going back to what Nadine said, acknowledge the situation. Do not pretend it doesn't exist. So that's, I went all around on that. There's lots of great ways that I think we can address getting people back on topic and just grounding them in the purpose and make sure you have an agenda and your expected outcomes. However, if an emotional issue comes up, just rethink. It's, it probably has a lot more impact on work than you think it might. So I think what you're saying is we need to make time for those conversations that if it's a relevant, impactful, thoughtful conversation, have it then when the opportunity presents itself instead of waiting for that perfect moment. Yeah. And, and Karen Street said abruptly cutting something off does it, it just makes it worse. So let's go towards better by confronting that discomfort. And if it's not the time or the space, we need to create the time and space. Mm -hmm. yeah. Were you going to say something else, Nadine? No, I think Mercedes said it all. I, I loved everything. It was spot on in terms of not avoiding it, go towards it. And, and I also just want to say maybe the reality is that discomfort was felt by whoever was facilitating the meeting and did not want to go towards it because of that discomfort. I think inherently we all know how to handle somebody who's rambling or an argument in a, we know how to handle it. Sometimes you just let them talk. Sometimes you create a new space and, and leave let's, the room let's and now have a new, I guess maybe I say to that person, really question your motives in that thought about shutting it down or that discomfort question why you feel this way. Cecilia, do you have anything to add to that? I completely agree with Nadine thinking about why you feel that way and then you handled other types of things that come up. This is a, a similar issue, but question your own motives for what you want to do and then either address or make the time and make the space to have the conversation mm -hmm. so that you can get back to what it is you thought you were talking about. And we're all working in tech. I'll just highlight one other both Nadine and Cecilia. One thing, we if we can't count on ourselves, I'll think about a, a, a technical question, right? If we're not the expert in that technology area, we know a lot of experts. And so we reach out to them and say, what can you help? And get there's people who are experts in diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And I'm going to say, I call on them all the time when I get out of my depth level and I'm failing, or I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the skill. And I think we should embrace these types of conversations and recognize that there are people who are technical experts at having courageous conversations and invite them in when we need them. If we aren't comfortable, right? And Nadine said, if you're the meeting facilitator and you're uncomfortable, maybe you need to call for backup. We have to uh, say thank you to Karen for that question because it definitely, I hope he helped. I, I will have to check in with her later and find out, but all right, so we have another question from our friend Kirsten Nelson, and she is Kirsten Nelson one on Twitter. She says, do you have, or she asks, I should say, you have any recommendations for people to follow or amplify on social media who are good on this topic, so who are, who are 
like Mercedes, you were just saying, experts in having these conversations. And I think you had mentioned in our pre-meeting, I think you mentioned a couple of folks that might be good for uh, Kirsten to follow. I'll give three names that I started following and I found their voices to be really powerful. The first is Emmanuel Acho. He's a retired NFL player and ESPN analyst, and he's got a master's in sports psychology. And you may have seen his video series, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Incredibly informative. He's a voice I want to amplify and learn from. Another is Ibram Kendi. He is the director of the Center for Anti-Racist Research at Boston University. He wrote the book, How to Be Anti-Racist, and it's a very deep book. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of learning, and he's very active on Twitter as well, and I've appreciated listening to some of his lectures. And the third person that I'd recommend is Michelle Silverthorne. Uh, she actually uh, came and spoke at a Black History Month event earlier this year. She's the founder and CEO of Inclusion Nation. And so those are three people specifically that I am learning from, and I find valuable voices to amplify. I will add that besides Cecilia, my other hero in this journey I'm on is Kimberly Jones. I, I mentioned her earlier. Her Twitter handle is at Kim Latrice Jones. She is a best-selling author. She is a very passionate person and I am following her for sure. Anybody well, else I, have? Go ahead. Go ahead. No? No, but I did write everything down. <laughs> so you are you will be following all those people going forward. I will. Thank you. Both of you guys. I tend to tweet a lot more about social media and stuffs, but I'm just saying. I think that's a wrap for this uh, episode of the Tent Podcast. We want to thank Nadine and Mercedes for joining us today. To our listeners out there, we know you have a bunch of podcasts you could be listening to, and we appreciate the time you take to spend with us. We hope you'll add us to your queue of must-listen podcasts, and we would love to hear your feedback. What works? What doesn't? What would you like to hear more from us about? We encourage you to email us at ngtentpodcast at netapp.com with your comments and questions, or reach out to us on the Twitters. I'm at Cecilia Taylor, and Sam is at Sam Moulton. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. <laughs>